On October 31st, 1517, on a Halloween day in Wittenberg, Germany, a monk posted 95 theses, or objections to the Catholic Church, which was the only church at that time. And it, he posted these theses on the church doors of the Castle Church in Wittenberg. In one sense, this wasn't a strange thing to do, as to put announcements for the public in the open, you typically put them on church doors. But on this day, Luther, who many call the father of the Protestant Reformation, uh, one who revealed much of what we believe about Jesus, God, the Spirit, and the Word of God, decided to put objections about the church with scriptural references. 95 in total, and as this spread, firstly without the knowledge of Luther, he became famous in one sense. And one of the most common beliefs of Luther, and one that Protestant churches hold to today, is that, that is the belief of justification by faith alone in Christ alone, or in Latin, sola fide. In fact, out of the Protestant Reformation, over 500 years ago, came five solas. The first one is sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. The Bible alone is our highest authority. Sola fide, which I just mentioned, faith alone. We are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Third one is sola gratia. We are saved by the grace of God alone. Solus Christus. Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, Savior, and King. And the fifth one, soli Deo Gloria. Do we live for the glory of God alone or to the glory of God alone? If you receive emails from me, you may have seen that one at the end of each of my emails. Well, today, whether you are with us for the first time or have been a faithful member of Cremona Congregational Church for many years or have been away from our services for the past while, whether it be physically here in Cremona or online, we're now going to enter the Old Testament and specifically into the book of Habakkuk. This morning we get to explore a doctrine of the Christian faith, and not just one that we study, but one that we live out for the glory of God in accordance with his written word. Perhaps even more right now with fear in our world, and frustration within us and around us, we must live out sola fide, saved through faith alone in Christ alone. But this morning, specifically today, we get to see ultimately how sola fide, saved by faith alone, relates to how we must live by faith alone as well. As we get closer to getting into the text, I want to ask you what you believe about faith this morning. If you were with us for Easter just a little while ago, you heard me say these words, that faith isn't something that we just blindly step forward into. In fact, whether you are a Christian or not, faith isn't that. When we are falling from the sky and skydiving, we don't do this without any kind of training. Whether it's 30 minutes from an instructor or 30 years, we don't do this blindly. Nobody would go skydiving with an actual blindfold or without triple checking their equipment beforehand. We instead trust 
in something that will help us. We trust in something that will help us. But this morning, what do you believe about faith? If you're a Christian this morning, one who desires Jesus more than anything, how do you understand faith? Do you still see it as something like the blind person who does something without trusting in it? Or is faith something greater and actually something that transforms your entire being? This morning we have the chance to see and hear what God himself has to say about this exact thing. And in a time and history where the people of God were being devastated by the corruption of their own people in the land of Judah. But just a quick overview of where we've been in this sermon series. If you have Habakkuk open, you can see where I'm going. Habakkuk 1, 1 to 4. This introduced us to Habakkuk as a character who gave his first complaint to God. As he complained about the violence and injustice around him within the land of Judah. Leaders were not leading like they were supposed to be leading. And the citizens were doing whatever they pleased without even thinking about the God that they were called to follow. Through this, as a church, we saw that we are allowed and even shown to cry out to God, How long, O Lord? And yet, we must be careful to not make assumptions out of the God that we can't seem to see. After this, verses 5 to 11, which is our second message in this series, give us God's first response. He was no longer the silent God whom Habakkuk claimed he was. He was instead the God who would do what he said he would do, but not in the way Habakkuk was expecting. He would destroy the evil within Judah by sending a greater evil, Babylon. In this passage, we were challenged to believe the unbelievable because God works good even through the greatest of all evils. Verses 12 to chapter 2, verse 1, just last week, we saw in Habakkuk's response, you could almost really hear him say, really God, the Babylonians? This is the way you are going to respond to the evil and suffering among your people? And yet, even last week, God's word challenged us to believe in God, even when his timing may not be our timing. And so this morning, today, the passage read only moments ago by Kathy, only a short few verses, and yet sometimes that is all God wants to do and needs to do in order to get our attention. And because it was short, let's read it once again. Habakkuk 2, 2 to 5. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Okay, so we have here the Lord replying. The Lord has replied. 
He has spoken and he tells Habakkuk to write down the revelation, the vision, to make it plain on tablets so that a herald, a messenger, may run with it. This is important. Don't just glance past this and keep on going. You see, even though all of this book is for the entire people of God, even though all of this is for the prophet Habakkuk, and the prophet's primary job is to give people the word from the Lord, God makes it clear that he wants this one to be made plain on tablets so that a herald, a messenger, would run with it. He wants everyone to hear this one clearly. But why? Is there something different about this passage this morning than the previous ones we have gone through, or even the ones after? Is this the only important part of the book of Habakkuk? Is this the only one we ought to listen to or apply our lives to? What about God's people in that day? Were they only to truly listen to these words from Habakkuk, from God, and not the only ones? Well, I think although these are helpful questions to chew on, I think we can take one thing from this first verse of this passage this morning. You see, the word of God was not simply at times, even primarily at times, a word spoken orally. It was actually recorded on materials. One of the old and now debunked myths of the Old Testament, was that people used to believe that the Old Testament in particular couldn't be true because it was simply something said from one generation to another generation orally. And as we all know from playing the game telephone, where one person speaks the phrase, hi, I love Jesus. And at the end, the person says the phrase was, my dog did a big flip. We know that mistakes can be made when spoken simply orally. But after meticulous biblical and historical research from those who weren't believers and those who were, we now know that the word of God was written down. And for a prophetic book like Habakkuk, God wants to make his intentions clear, as you see here. Write this down and make it plain so that all may hear my words. And so we must do this as well, even this morning thousands of years later, we must hear just as the people of God in the days of Habakkuk heard. With this in mind, let's continue on. Verses 3 and 4 together once again says these words, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. You see, this revelation, this vision that God wants written down, aren't just simply good words to think of. This revelation awaits and, wait, and is waiting for its appointed time. A couple of weeks ago, if you heard the message, Believe the Unbelievable, we were challenged to do exactly that. We were reminded that God works in his own timing. And this can be really challenging for us as sinners, even sinners saved by the grace of God. I think so often our main challenge with our own pursuit of God and his things 
is our innate desire to be in control. Over the past month, over the past six, seven weeks, as I've been talking with many of you over Zoom, over emails, over phone calls, and even for some of you in person at a distance, I have heard many of the same things. The time that we are in right now forces you, forces all of us to realize that we are not in control. And this has brought certain things to the surface for all of us. We have either responded in further anxiety to the things in our life. For example, if you realize you're not in control but still want to be, you will try and control as much as you can. But in this, every day, there are things out of your control. Perhaps it seems like eons ago, but if you have kids who were in school, they came home. If you're in a senior's home or lodge in the area, suddenly you couldn't leave. You couldn't have family. You couldn't have loved ones come and visit you. And if you had a stable job for some of you, you now have no job. And if you were in control, you believe that you wouldn't have chosen any of these things. For others, this season of realizing our inability to have control has taken us into the opposite direction. Instead of anxiety and worry, we have simply realized to be still and know that God is God. And yet for all of us, whether we are caught in worry and anxiety or as relaxed as we have ever been, we need to hear this truth. The truth is this, God works in his own timing. What does this mean for us? It means much like last week where we saw Habakkuk, we have to wait as well. The Psalms in particular are full of God's people who wait. Psalm 130 is my favorite, an example that I want to share. Psalm 130 says these words. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You see, waiting for the promises of God, waiting for God, is a core part of our living by faith in God. 2 Peter 3, 8-9 in the New Testament reminds us of this. It says this, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. 
You see, even for Habakkuk, with injustice and violence abounding, and God intending to send the Babylonians, this revelation that we will hear soon awaits an appointed time. But we also hear what it will speak of, for it will speak of the ends and will not prove false. The promises of God and this revelation will happen. It will not prove false. Just wait, it will come and will not delay. And God, in his response to Habakkuk, quickly, quickly shifts his attention to the opposite of those who are faithful. The enemy, he says, is puffed up and his desires are not upright. And then we hear this statement, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. I want us to notice this morning that God puts this right in between the first part of verse 4 and the rest of verse 5. Again, each verse says these words. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. So here is how God describes the enemy. They are puffed up. Desires are not upright. Wine betrays them. They're arrogant, never at rest. Greedy, never satisfied. Gathers himself to all of the nations and takes captive all the peoples. In other words, they are self-serving, they are self-glorifying, and self-thinking. It's all about themselves. Don't pass this, even though you may want to focus on the righteous person's statement. Because if you want to live as the one who lives by faith, you will take notice. The enemy of God has self-serving desires. But what does God call us as his people in our desires? Psalm 37, verses 4 to 5. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. What about our satisfaction? Another psalm answers this. Psalm 107, 107, verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So this morning, what do we take away from this? The righteous one who lives by faith is one who delights in God, the things of God, and loving others above their own interests. For Habakkuk, in the midst of violence and injustice around him, God is calling him to have faith. But this faith wasn't an idle faith. It wasn't simply to ignore what was around him, but rather to realize that God will and is working. With Martin Luther, who spoke on justification by faith alone in Christ alone, he realized that being saved by faith alone meant that we must also live by faith in our works in the world. He said this in a book written on the gospel, uh, one of the gospels in 1522. 
He said this, Faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace. So certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. Such confidence and knowledge of God's grace makes you happy, joyful, and bold in your relationship to God and all creatures. The Holy Spirit makes this happen through faith. Because of it, you freely, willingly, and joyfully do good to everyone, serve everyone, suffer all kinds of things, love and praise the God who has shown you such grace. Thus, it is just as impossible to separate faith and works as it is to separate heat and light from fire. In many ways, living by faith must seem like this illustration. One night, a a house caught fire. A young boy was forced to flee to the roof, the highest point. The father stood on the ground below with outstretched arms as he called to his son, Jump, I will catch you. He knew the boy had to jump to save his own life. But all the boy could see, however, was flame, smoke, and utter blackness. As can be imagined, he was afraid to leave the roof. His father kept yelling, jump, I will catch you. But the boy protested, daddy, I can't see you. The father replied, but I can see you. And that's all that matters. You see, in the fires of your life, the suffering, in the doctor's appointments where they tell you you have cancer, in your living room and you get a telephone call saying that your family member is dead from a car accident, or when you are holding on to breath because you can't catch your breath in the hospital. Living by faith means not being dependent on your own will, but the will of God. We may not see God in many ways, but he sees us. In these situations of trial and even pandemic like we are in right now, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-10 cries out loudly and true. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. You see, living by faith doesn't mean that we tell our brother or sister in Christ to have more faith. No. Living by faith means that we encourage other brothers and sisters in Christ that God is faithful, and therefore, because God is faithful, we can have faith. Living by faith means that these words ring true from Romans chapter 8, my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. Verses 1 to 4 of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Verses 18 to 26, these words, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And the last verses of Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning, church, living by faith means that we know that God is for us and not against us. Living by faith means knowing that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Living by faith means knowing that the word of God will not prove false. Even though it seems like it is lingering, we must wait for it. And as Habakkuk tells us, it will certainly come and will not delay. This is not a blind faith but rather a deep-rooted trust in our never-changing, loving Father who provides for his people. And as one of my favorite hymns says, our faith is what? It is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. In Jesus, we can see our good God do what he has said he would do. Faith in our God is the foundation for living and with confidence and hope in a fallen world filled with tears and trials all of the time and at many times at the exact same time. But these tears will be wiped away. Let's end this with Revelation 21.4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Live by faith, church. Live by faith and see God work marvelous things in your life. Yes, in his own timing, but his word will never fail. Believe this and live through it. Wait for it just as God commanded Habakkuk. He now commands us. Wait for it. It will certainly come. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can sing together. Thank you that we can pray together. And thank you for your word that is so life-changing, transforming, and powerful. Father, we pray that we can take these words that we have heard to heart, that we can live them out, and we can live by faith, knowing that you are so faithful. 
We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.